Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Everybody, welcome back to day one of our 10th Indie Game Business Sessions Conference. Uh, a big thank you, as always, to our friends over at Tripwire Presents for helping us along, and Will as our sponsors, Exola and Vicarious PR. Uh, but without further ado, I will hand it over to our two speakers for the day to introduce themselves, and I will get out of the way. Thank you, Jay. <clears throat> Um, so I'm going to start because I have the pleasure today of doing a fireside chat with Carolina Torres. My name is Heather Chandler, and I am with Heather Makes Games. I'm a game consultant. I have worked in the game industry for over 25 years in the area of production for places like Activision, EA, Ubisoft, Epic Games. I've also worked a lot with Eline Media, which is where I met Carolina, and we have worked together for many years on some very exciting projects, which we will be talking about today. Um, Carolina, please introduce yourself. Yeah, hello everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm Carolina Torres. Uh, I was born in Colombia. I've been with Eline for about 10 years. Uh, for those of you that don't know Eline, we are a boutique indie game developer and publisher. We're best known for titles like Never Alone uh, and Beyond Blue. Never Alone, we co-created with our Alaska Native partners at the Cook Inland Tribal, CITC, and to bring Alaska Native culture to a global audience. Uh, Beyond Blue is an ocean exploration game that we made in collaboration with the BBC. And as a studio, all of our games have social impact. Uh, it is important for us that our games allow players to reflect on current and pressing issues, bring attention to underrepresented voices, explore meaningful themes, especially around cultures uh, that are not commonly represented in games and popular media. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so I've had the pleasure of working with uh, Carolina and Eline on both Never Alone and Beyond Blue, which we'll be discussing a little bit today. Um, let's start by defining inclusive development. I'm sure there's people out there that are like, what does that mean exactly? So how do you define that? That's a great question, Heather. And I would say it's a framework that it was born just uh, from working in our games and trying to find a process that would allow us to bring authenticity into the, the, the games that we make. Uh, it includes finding, you know, the right partner, having the right shared goals, uh, build trust, 
uh, have a transparent communication and feedback and just a continuous balancing of creating creative, cultural impact and commercial needs. Uh, it is also very um, critical that whoever you're working with have uh, the same aligned interests and, and that you ensure that you're there to collaborate, to uh, recognizing the other what their expertise is, what your expertise is, and and just uh, come together to co-create, in this case, our games like we did with Never Alone and Beyond Blue. Uh, and um, I would say that at the end, it's a process of mutual learning in which both partners uh, end up becoming true creative partners. And I always love to tell that uh, when we first started working with our Alaska Native partners, uh, it, the attitude was we want to learn as much about game development as we at Elaine wanted to learn about their culture. And it was that framing in my mindset that really allowed us to come together to do something that was really meaningful and I think was transformative. That's wonderful. So when you talk about inclusive development, does that <clears throat> just mean people like indigenous cultures or are there other ways that you are inclusive in the development process for example with beyond blue i just want to help um, better understand what does inclusive cover is it just sort of different cultures or is it other aspects as well it since it's a framework it covers any game that 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 we do so uh it can cover cultures. It can cover, in the in the case of Beyond Blue, an area of expertise about the ocean. We didn't know a lot about it, so we partner with scientists that uh, help us figure out what will be uh, the right content to cover. For example, in the different depths of the ocean, what kind of biomes and and uh, and, and animals you will be able to see, uh, so it is correctly. And uh, they also just as we work very closely with our Alaska Native partners. They embed in our in our teams. We have one of the scientists actually come to our Phoenix studio and spend many months sitting next to each other with with our team and working together. And inclusive development is a, is you know we see it as a way where again we are equal partners and it's not that we are poking every other month like, oh, I have this set of questions. Can you answer for me? And then go back to the team and do their thing is really they're another team member and they're working hand in hand. And also, uh, I would say the inclusive development cover, you know, your team cover the content that you make and also cover the community that is around the, the game. That's wonderful. Um does inclusive, and then we'll move on to the framework, but again, does inclusive development mean, is it code for educational games? Like if you were being inclusive and you're trying to teach people, do the games have more of an educational feel to them? Or, I mean, I know from experience from working with your titles, what I think your answer is going to be, <laughs> but I think for our audience, they would be very interested to learn um, about how you frame the content as you work with these inclusive partners. I would say, uh is a lot of, um, you will learn something, but I will frame it more as, it really allows you to be authentic and have content that feels true to who you want to represent. In the case of Never Alone, it felt true to the culture. You couldn't have done a game about 
Alaskan Native culture without having them. So as as a gamer, as, as you exp- go through the experience, you do get to learn about the culture, but it's not educational first. I think it's more about authenticity and really having a very compelling experience. Same thing with Beyond Blue. It was not about learning about uh, the ocean itself. It was more about getting into what was affecting it, uh, the kind of creatures that you will encounter and make it really authentic about the topics that you were uh, covering in the game. Yeah, and I, I think too, both mm-hmm. of those games have really fun stories mm-hmm. and some fun gameplay mechanics. So when you're playing them, you don't feel like you're being taught something. You feel like yeah. you're having an experience and it's something fun and you want to share it with your friends. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would say another thing about inclusive development is that it puts the team in a mindset where there is a lot of exploration and creativity uh, based on that collaboration and sometimes there is some innovation coming out like you could you have uh, like subgenres that that come out of working together with your partners how can you present some of the themes in a different way Uh, we saw that with never alone in how you know uh the, the the top the storytelling was very, very unique and uh, lean into their tradition their oral tradition. All right, so let's talk about what the key elements are of inclusive development. So before you even start, um, I'm super curious. How do you figure out which projects you work on first, um, and then after you kind of get some projects in the pipeline, what are the things you do before you even start development? Yeah, so it is important that wh- whoever we, we partner with share our mission and share our goals and values. So it starts from there and understanding that we're both having the same the same goals. Um, and it is important also that once you feel like you're good partners and you want to go into this journey with all ups and downs and a really bit of a roller coaster, uh, that you are aligned on what are your impact goals, what are your financial goals, and what are your risk tolerance? Because at the end of the day, we're making a commercial product where there has to be a return, it has to be sustainable, and that has to be an understanding from the beginning of where both are, uh, so you can get, you can kick off the process. Can you explain what you mean when you say what your impact goals are? Yeah. So, like I said, uh, for Eline, all our games have impact behind it. So the goals that we set, for example, are what do we want our content to uh, change in our players once they play the game? You know, uh, do we want them to learn about a culture? Do we want them to learn about what are the uh, issues with the ocean right now? What are some of the practices that are affecting the biomes? Uh, so we we work with our partners in setting up those goals, right? Uh, goals can also, in terms of culture, can be we want to reach a uh, global audience. We want them to know about the culture, or we want to, for example, more 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 localized to the community around it. We want to impact the youth, for example, in in the Alaska Native community. So we come up and we agree on that, and those are the impact goals that we are going to embed from the beginning in the development process and their track and then see, you know, did we met them or not uh, once the game is launched. 
So they definitely become a huge pillar for developing these games. And if the game doesn't hit these impact goals while you're developing and testing it, you will rework with your partners to get more close alignment on those. Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, important thing that you're pointing out, uh, Heather, is that you throughout the process, you have you always have that check against your pillars that every time you're you're moving along it, you're still keeping that goalpost in mind and don't lose it. Mm-hmm. So once you've uh, found a partner and you've talked about your impact goals and your financial goals, what is the next step then? The next step is identifying who's going to be that lead person from your partner that's going to be your point of communication and helping throughout the process. So it could be a lead cultural advisor. It could be a domain expert. And that that person, or it could be a group of, or, or group of people, are the ones that are going to be interacting with the team on a regular basis and 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 embedding embedding themselves in the team. Wonderful. Um, <clears throat> so, if you have a lead um, domain person or a lead cultural person, how do other members of the community participate in this experience? Like, do you pull from other people in the community to provide roles or things on the team? Yeah. So, like I said, it could be a, a you know you have your lead, and then you have a, a team that also support that. Uh, I would say, for example, in in the keys of Never Alone, we were covering a lot of different topics about the culture. So every time there was a specific question about something, that cultural lead will go back into the community and find the right person uh, that had the the best knowledge about the topic and then come back and work and work with the team and then figuring out what, what the process there. Sometimes it will be having workshops or having uh, small committees or having a play test. So depending on the need of, of during production, that person will be the one, uh, again, working with the team, figuring out what is the, how can we best problem solve this or what will be uh, the best way to find an answer for that. So when you talk about engaging the broader community with workshops, can you, um, is there an example of a way this was done that you can talk about? Yeah. So uh, I think this will be a good opportunity to talk about another project that, uh, you know, Heather, uh, with uh, another indigenous tribe uh, called the Chocta. Uh, They were trying to do, they were very interested in doing a a game about the stick ball. And, there were workshops with the community, meaning uh, we went there, Heather uh, actually uh, led one of those uh, workshops and with a group of young people from, from the community. And there were questions about the characters to help inform uh, you know, the direction, what was really resonating with them since that was the audience that we were trying to create the game for so as a member a young member of the community you know what how do you want to see yourself represented and there was a workshop about about that workshop about potential content storylines those were some examples of, of things that we work hand in hand uh i don't know heather you want to share a little bit more about yeah about that? i mean it was very interesting because mm-hmm. when we went to mississippi to do these workshops it was a middle middle school kids and high school kids and 
one of the interesting things that I think in addition to having an impact kind of globally is that most of the projects I've worked on, especially with the tribes, they've wanted to have an impact within their tribe, specifically mm -hmm. with the youth. And they pick video games because they know that is a medium that speaks to the young people and they yeah. want to get the young people excited about their culture, also interested in technology because it's a nice way to introduce them to STEM careers and the idea that you can actually make video games. Um, so when we did these workshops, it was really great because the kids were super excited. They drew concept art of characters. We asked them what types of stories or traditions that they would like to see in the game. And they came up with some really fun ideas. We also asked them what types of games they enjoyed playing and, and all of that. And what I found really interesting is that they were able to take a pop popular games like Fortnite or Apex Legends and then say, and it would be re really cool if you took that thing from Fortnite or Apex Legends or these other games mm -hmm. that I play and put it into our game. So they definitely were able to use these workshops as a way to really think big, which is what we want them to do. And it is just, it was just a lot of fun. And then they would also, that stickball game, they took us out on the stickball field and then they showed us stuff, right? Okay, yeah. here's how you play stickball and all of that. Very, yeah, a lot of fun. All right. So next you have kind of figured out how your, your, who your expert is, how you're interacting with them. The community has been brought along for the ride. What happens during development? You've started developing it. Um, do you normally have, are, where do the development teams come from? Are they part of the group that is, um, you know, providing the expertise? Is it a different development team? Can you talk a little bit about how you find the teams that work on these projects? Yeah. So uh, before we get to development, uh, we usually go through a concepting phase, which is a, a very small team that works uh, on it. And then once we feel good about uh, some of this, we start bringing uh, more, we start growing the team and filling out some of those high priority roles to start really going through the process of prototyping. So what is important there is as we prototype, have a, a, a very close and open communication with our partners, could be you know domain experts or cultural advisors, they're part of that process. We set up uh, green light committees. So along the way, there are some checks that uh, other members of the community have the opportunity to take a look at what we've been working on, give their feedback, and find a way where we all everyone feels comfortable moving along the development phase, and that you know uh, the content is being represented. Uh, and going back to Never Alone, in one of those green light committees, we were showing um, some of the concept art for Nuna, and, uh, and uh, it go to you know it's looking to Disney. Let let's go back to the drawing board. Let's try a couple more you know options, maybe artists and all of that. So those are a good uh, checkpoints and uh, to calibrate if we're all on the same page. Recheck again your impact goals. And, and then move on, uh, move on along. Um, with our internal team, um, it is important that every time we bring a new a new team member, uh, we go through an onboarding process. And the onboarding process is about not only uh, what it means to work at Eline, but also getting uh, very familiar with the culture or the subject matter that we're addressing in the game. So there is a, 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 an onboarding that we have designed where team members come and really absorb and immerse themselves. Um, 
and then we go through uh, you know, uh, everything that has to do with here are the goals that we're trying to achieve. So every time someone new is, again, joining, uh, it's kind of, of getting passing along all, all that knowledge and really represent and, and uh, what we're trying to do. When you're working with your impact partners, do they ever have final say on any of the game content that's included? And what happens if they're like, I mean, you gave the example of Nuna, the main character, Never Alone. Mm -hmm. They were saying, oh, the look is getting too Disney. Let's bring it back. Were there other examples where maybe in that project or on the Beyond Blue where the people advising or being part of the process were like, this is just not appropriate or we don't want to do this. Um, how do you resolve things like that? That's a great question. And there's a lot of, of moments during, during you know, the development of, of the game that uh, I, you just have to come together and, and problem solve. Right, you have to find them the middle ground because sometimes, you know, there might be something that uh, will make the game not as appealing as it could be. Uh, so it's almost like each wears their 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 expert hearts. They they wear their expert hats on the topic, uh, and we wear the ones on game development. And you just have to come to a compromise and see what is what is best. You know. Uh, I think in the original story uh, for Never Alone, it was supposed to be a boy and not a girl. So the team really felt that they wanted to be a girl. Uh, and the so we have to go back to the elders, you know, ask if, it, you know, it was okay and, and come to a compromise where uh, because there were creative reasons, can we do this? And they were great at working with us and great at finding solutions as well. Yeah, the other big one I remember from that one is <clears throat> that the team had the Arctic Fox as her playable right. companion. And yeah. if you've played the game, of course, <laughs> you love the Arctic Fox. It's so cute. Um, and she's, you know, he hangs around with Nuna, but the tribe was really against that. Um, when you go to Alaska, you do see Arctic foxes all over the place. And they're the equivalent of uh, what was explained to us, raccoons. Yes. Basically, Arctic <laughs> foxes dig in the garbage. They carry yeah. rabies. And the elders and the tribe was taught the kids to stay away from Arctic foxes. And so they were initially not as excited about having a fox as the companion character because of how foxes, these creatures right. were viewed in, in the real world. Um, so the team, I know, went back and explored, well, could we do a wolf or something like that instead? And they were able, you know, we had many of these conversations, as you were saying, over the yeah. course of many months, where the team kind of explained their gameplay reasonings, but also trying to be respectful of the feedback they were getting. And then I know that the tribe also on their side kind of delved into games to see how animals were portrayed in games, the different ways that you could do that. And I think between both sides kind of looking outside of what they might normally consider they were able to agree that it seems like the fox brings a lot to the game. And so, yes, we can, we can have it in there. And there were, you know, the team wanted it because the fox was small and spry, which had different characteristics than Nuna. But if you used a wolf, that was a much larger character. And so it, it wouldn't be as much of a balance between gameplay. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah. Exactly. Extending into each other, it makes more sense to have, 
to have the fox. And I think the, you know, again, that's that's what was so wonderful about their project is that they wanted to learn about games as much as we wanted to learn about the culture. And they really took it seriously. And, 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 and like you said, they were willing to uh, problem solve with us and finding finding solutions to it um, as a as a little bit of I guess lore <laughs> when when CATC first approached Eline with the idea of making a game um, and it was them not us looking for it it was they they approaching us is yeah they 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 were they wanted to reach young people in the community and they did their research their homework and they found that video games were a way to get to them. Uh, I would say if you talk to our founders, Michael and Alan, they would say, we try to tell them that it was not a good idea to make games, that it was very risky, but they were, they were just, uh, you know, they, we want to do it. We feel that this, based on all the research that we've done, based on their, of their side of de-risking their investment, they felt that games was the, the way to go to reach their youth and get them involved again, feeling proud of their culture and, They went into this crazy roller coaster with us. Um, I don't think a lot of people know, but Eline is partially owned by CITC. So we're partially owned by an indigenous tribe. And we're uh, very proud of that because they, they really believe in us. And it has been a, a wonderful experience working with them. And um, I think it changed our lives. <laughs> I don't oh, want to speak for you, but yes. Absolutely. And yeah. I think it's also very telling that during this process, you... Eline and the Cook Inlet Tribal Council decided that they wanted to continue working together mm -hmm. on a variety of um, impact development projects like the Beyond Blue project, uh, the Stickball project. And what's interesting about the Stickball project is uh, that was the Choctaw, the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians mm -hmm. had seen Never Alone and they got yeah. very excited by that and contacted Eline again. They contacted Eline and said, we would like to do something similar we have a sport that is very um that is a huge part of our culture that we would like to see portrayed i think we might be talking a little bit about the stickball game later on yes i'd like to talk a little bit about kind of what's the nuts and bolts then like it's great to say hey we have these partners but what is it like to work together on the plan and process like how often are you meeting How do the timelines work? Like with your production timelines, how do you account for the fact that you have um, this other layer of feedback that you're getting? How does that impact your scheduling? And, and sort of what sorts of ways do you do this? What kind of tools are you using? Um, do you do in-person meetings? Like what does that look like? Great question. So um, in the time of COVID, <laughs> so I, we, When we did Never Alone One, there was a, a lot of traveling to Alaska to to meet meet the meet their uh, you know the community, uh, see some of the landscape. Uh, and now that we're in COVID times, I think it'd be uh, good uh, in the sense that we do a lot of video video calls, and uh, when we're mapping out our our timelines, uh, we also allow for those green light committees and, and and checkpoints along the way um, you know sometimes it takes longer because we do have to come to a compromise and do some creative solving but on a day-to-day -day, once we have you know, we start working on the concept we use tools like uh, video calls 
We also have uh, Slack channels where we try to have a more day-to-day -day communication. We uh, do streaming since we can't travel. So when we have a work in progress work, we do streaming within the engine or just showing concept art. So we like, it's, it's really, they're another team member. They're just not sitting next to us. And in these times, we're not sitting to anyone else anymore. So you really feel like there is an, a, a part of uh, of um, another team member. You have weekly meetings where we show up and we have we come with our questions. We do we you know uh, work on open topics that we need to figure out, get their input very early on from the concept phase. So we're always taking that in consideration and not just waiting into you know to the end to get feedback. Once the game is done and you've launched it, how do you handle sort of the launch aspect, the marketing and the PR? How does that work? So our marketing team uh, works very closely where, with whoever our partner market team is. In the case of Nero Alone, they have their their unit, the marketing unit, and our, our team was working very, very closely with them. We uh, want... We approach that from a, uh, again, inclusive way where we're doing this together. It's not just that Eline team members represent the game. It's like we go someone that the community identified as we want this person to be the voice of. Uh, they come with us and they are part of, um, of that marketing cycle. Uh, and we try to... Uh, yeah, collaborate in it uh, again. Is 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 just um, just let's do this together. We're telling your story, or you're the domain expert, the scientist. Let's have this panels. Let's talk about this, and just have have them have the visibility as being part of the team. Great. So, <clears throat> is this something that Eline uses on all of their games? Yes, uh, this is something that we use. Uh, we tweak. Uh, depending on, on the game, um, again, if it's if it's a cultural advisor, if it's a scientist, or if there's another domain expert, depending on some of the other games that we're doing, we have some on the pipeline that I cannot talk yet about. Yeah. But we do lean into what's the what's our partner. Let let's see some uh, how can we tweak the process, but uh, at the end, I, you know what it encompasses is that we're doing this together. We are equal partners. Let's get working together from the beginning and defining our impact goals. What are our risks? What do we want to achieve with the game? Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. Powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list.
You mentioned that when you guys were making Beyond Blue, which is a game about the ocean and exploring it, that you had a scientist on site that was sitting with the team. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about sort of what was the day-to-day -day like for the scientists? What sorts of things were they engaging with the team on? Right. So Anna, <laughs> she came here uh, to our Phoenix studio. And some of the things that she was working very closely um, were what is the set of creatures that we're going to see? Right. And then after identifying that set, working on figuring out the references that then the artist were going to use to model the, the different, again, uh, fish or the whale or turtles, depending on what we were doing, figuring out, OK, this is the reference. This is this is uh, what, what you need to use. Then checking in with the artist once they were you know, first concepts and coming out. So she was also participating in that. She was participating in, in content for for the different storylines and quests, ensuring that, you know, it was appropriate. Uh, she also did some play testing uh, while he, she was at the studio uh, just to, you know, give her input on how things are feeling, um, working out, you know, tweaks to storylines or mm -hmm. to the art or even the character itself if, if it makes sense some of the dialogue that she was having with other cast members and all of that so it, it was really you know and uh she was key and the team really yeah. loved working with her and other more senior scientists that were not on a daily basis with us but we were approaching them whenever there was a bigger topic to be covered yeah, I'd love for you, if you're able to, to chat a little bit, um, number one, about some of the technology that was portrayed in the game Beyond Blue. And again, for those of you who haven't played Beyond Blue, it's this really neat ocean exploration game. You swim around um, in the ocean, <clears throat> excuse me, and you see all these beautiful creatures. You can scan them. And then there's also a story involving a couple other scientists where you are using different types of technology to gather information about the ocean. Um, can you talk a little bit about the technology and how you converted that to something that could be part of the gameplay? Yeah, I in, in, in Beyond Blue, we took a little bit of, of liberty of, of imagining some of, of, of the technology. So for example, uh, Marai's uh, suit, you know, she, she doesn't have a, a, an oxygen tank like we, we will see on a diver, right? She has a special a special uh, breathing mask. So we took some liberties on, on the technology and just thinking what will be the future uh, of, of the ocean exploration. And this is where, again, working with our scientists, we were, okay, we don't want to cross the line of being science fiction here. We still want to be grounded in science. Could this be possible in, you know, five, 10 years from now? So for example, yeah. So her her suit is one of those examples. Also, we uh, drones for exploration, and, and uh, were another uh, part where we collaborated and tried to imagine what can these drones do for us, get to places that uh, humans cannot go because is it too dangerous or is is just the temperatures, and 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 that kind of things were things that we also worked, and I think they brought. They brought uh, really interesting content uh, to the game. Uh, and I think it just like get our imagination going or what work where we can go uh, with the current technology and just think about five, 10 years from now. 
Yeah, and I think it's reflected in the fact that Beyond Blue is routinely listed on games that have something important and useful to say about the environment. Yeah. Right. Regardless, you know, um, it because <laughs> it is very based in that science and it does think sort of more realistically five to ten years in the future, mm -hmm. what might things be like. And so I think that people enjoy the message that it has with that about, you know, the ocean is part of us and our environment and let's need, yeah. take care of it and things like that without being too preachy, right? Or making... Exactly. Yeah. Without being like that and and in... in in your in, in in playing the game you know you're you're absorbing that and also learning things about you know deep sea mining that are there that are themes that uh, you really sometimes you really don't know a lot about it but once you're in there following the storyline learning about it uh it just like sticks in your head and and i don't know i when i when i finished playing with young blue i i was like I want to learn more about this. I want to do my research and see what else can I do um, after after learning how important it is to take care of the ocean. What are that actually that brings up an interesting point. <clears throat> One of the things that Eline does with their products is or their games is that they want to have the learning continue. Could you talk a bit about cultural insights, what those are? where that idea came from, why it's important, and why you include those in your games? Absolutely. Um, the first game to, uh, that we um, have them was Never Alone One. Um, and uh, as you play the game, you unlock around 26 small documentaries. Uh, and those documentaries kind of unpack some of the deep cultural themes that the game cover. They uh, are told from the perspective of elders and community members. And uh, they're so beautiful because they really tell you the story behind, you know, the blizzard or behind why Nuna is named Nuna. And, uh, and you, uh, I would say that gives just the, 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 the context and the framework on, on, on the context that you're playing in the game. And uh, we saw them as a way that because they're, they're optional and non-mandatory, they're not a gate for progressing in the game, uh, you kind of have the opportunity to come back and watch them or watch them outside the game, learn about the, the topics that they're covering, and then take your time and, and maybe expand on some that you really feel connected to. But uh, what, we, what we saw is that it was very important for us to have the 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 why we're doing it coming from the people that represented that specific uh, theme uh, in the game. So we when we talk about you know the drones or the ocean exploration, having Sylvia you know telling the story about why she becomes so impassionate uh, uh, about the ocean, like what moved her, or like I said, in Never Alone, having the elders in the community tell us about. Uh, you know their their hunting practices, they they like the way they see the world uh, was important because they were the authentic voices that are uh, giving uh, a voice to the game itself. Yeah, and I know that you guys put a lot of thought into which cultural insights you select because you do want to make sure that it's enhancing the game, and you're mm -hmm. not just putting something in there because you're like, oh 
this might be interesting. I know that from a design perspective, there are places where you unlock a, cult, a specific cultural insight. Um, either you're doing something in the game and then a notification pops up, hey, you've unlocked this now. So it really is part of enhancing the gameplay. And like you said, the players can go back and look at it later mm -hmm. or choose not to engage with it. Um, exactly. And I think what's so exciting about it is that for the for Never Alone, um, I think Eline sent the document documentary crew out to kind of talk to people about the various topics that we were covering in the game and the elders helped organize these sessions and recordings and whatnot. I think for Beyond Blue, you got footage from the BBC. Is that correct? Could you talk about where that footage came from? Yeah, that was um, footage that was never before seen. Uh, it was not part of the documentary uh, and they gave us access to it uh, and so we felt like it was it was uh, uh, a great uh, opportunity to uh, show our players things that didn't make the cut to the the series, the documentary series. Uh, and then we build those those um, insights. Uh, go, and going back to your point, we try to uh, lay them in a way that you're, whatever you're experiencing in the game the insight is giving you more uh, context and more information about it. Uh, so it expands your understanding of that moment in the game. Um, let's talk a little bit now about co-design. Um, you'd mentioned a couple different ways how the experts in the team come together to think through all of these things. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about what that co-design might look like um, and how you align the stakeholders across all of this content? Yeah, the co-design, again, is part of the of the working together. So uh, it goes a lot of, you know, taking feedback from the partners, consulting, working directly uh, with, again, elders, although they're experts, ensuring that the game is delivering that appropriate experience. Are they seeing, do you send them like design documents or versions of the game? Like, how are they engaging with this information? Yeah, we uh, we send uh, from design documents to work in progress concepts to uh, organize those streaming sessions where we are playing the game. Uh, some of those are play tests that we try to get a build uh, so they can play it together. Uh, in other cases, is reacting to a script uh, when we're writing content. So uh, that's part of the of the co-design. And also sometimes is is the opposite way. They are sending things to us that we uh, work and revise together. For example, uh, part of of um, getting the game out to the world is what is that community plan that we put together. So uh, in the case of, of Never Alone, they taking the lead on, this is how we see uh, promoting the game within our community. So they send it our way and we do uh, you know, a back and forth on, on doing that. But uh, it's a lot, it's, it's just, just think uh, that is another team member. And is is like let let's 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 bring them on, let let's uh, give them a seat, and then give them uh, some tasks, and let's let's work together, and um, 
and yeah, and it's and it's a, it's a back and forth depending on the the what phase in the development you are and what what materials are you looking at. So you've talked a lot about all the different ways you know, we're engaging, who's responsible for actually implementing all of this and making sure these conversations are happening? Um, What does that look like on your side? So I would say that, you know, ultimately, you know, the team is responsible for adopting the process, but the one that is uh, like holding the flag and, 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 and responsible of really implementing and, and getting everyone through is the impact producer, the producer in the uh, on the on the team, that is the one that that is responsible for really doing <clears throat> ensuring that this is adopted by everyone on the team, and that it goes from uh, the creative design all the way throughout the production process. Yeah, I can imagine that person's <laughs> probably pretty busy on the project. Um, juggling two different, and I'd say that because I know that Carolina is the impact producer on all of these projects that we discuss. And then Heather um, was producer and the, on that, so we got to collaborate a lot. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a pretty obvious answer, but do you think that this inclusive development process makes better products? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes, um, it does. Um, I would say sometimes it takes longer and is a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but it just extends the time and all the the support and infrastructure that you need to put behind it. But it's absolutely worth it because at the end of the day, it just feels so authentic and is, is full of unique elements that otherwise you wouldn't be able to get there and then like I said you're you, you surprise yourself sometimes on how it actually get the team to come up with really inventive gameplay that is that is just complementary to either the culture or the specific theme that you're coming up together so I think it's absolutely worth it it takes time and effort yeah. but uh yeah do it and I think one of the things that takes the time and effort that is a little bit something new the game development team has to be aware of is oftentimes, at least on the projects we've worked on, the partners are not game developers. Mm-hmm. And some of them don't even really play games. They just have a desire to be in this medium. So they don't know all the ins and outs of how to actually make a game, what makes good gameplay. And so when you're having these conversations, I think it's very important for the game developers to honestly take a back seat sometimes instead of jumping in and saying, oh, well, you can't do that that way in the game. You've got to do it this way mm-hmm. because it you don't want to squelch the impact and authenticity of what they're trying to do. And I think that is one reason why things take longer. It's because you are um, engaging the tribe or the scientists in an arena in which they're unfamiliar. So they are learning about it as they go. And even though they may not have strong game ideas at the mm-hmm. beginning, you still have to give them that room to talk and to teach you guys or to the team instead of just cutting them off. I mean, of course, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than you trying to say something and a person who thinks, oh, well, you can't do it that way. Right. That's not how you do it in a game. Like that's not going to go anywhere. So it is very much this organic process where you're sitting in meetings. And I know that sometimes as a game developer, it can be somewhat frustrating and how slow this process can go 
especially at the beginning. But I think you've demonstrated that that time investment is well worth it because you do get a much better product um, when you get to the end of all of it. Uh, absolutely, you you do, and you know some of the things that we we learned with Never Alone, and uh, we're working on Never Alone too, <laughs> is that uh, part of that onboarding is for both the the development team and our cultural partners involve what you're describing, <clears throat> Heather, where. You know, they know nothing about game development, just as some of our team, new team members know nothing about their culture. So it's finding finding that that common uh, onboarding. So how can we teach them about game development? So things that we've we've done um, is, uh, you know, game development one on one. It's starting what are the phases of development. So when we are planning together and and talking about a timeline when we say we're in concepting or we're in an alpha or we're going to be in a beta that is now common terminology that we can we can talk about it and we are the same understanding uh talking also about what are the different roles in the teams because they don't know nothing about it right so what does a concept art artist does or a game level designer or you know an engineer that specializes in gameplay so it's coming up also with with uh that um onboarding package again or let's come together have a same understanding because that's where their magic start happening where we're both in that mindset and we start collaborating and have that that common language absolutely all right so where do you see inclusive development heading? Like, how can we collaborate with people with diverse knowledge sets, abilities, ways of life? Like, how far can this go? So uh, that's a great question. And it's something that we're uh, asking ourselves now that we start working on a few uh, new projects. Um, again, we see that um, taking a step up is how can we really... Uh, bring uh, the community to be part of the game, not just as a lead cultural advisor or a part of a, of a, a committee that, that, is, that is there, but can we open our talent uh, pool to more members of the community? So for example, can some of the quests be written in collaboration with um, maybe in the case of, of Never Alone with an Alaska native, or can we write in, in collaboration with um, one of the subdramatic experts? Can we have um, artists from the community helping with the concepting process? Can we have more of the, of the young people in the community be part of the testing and feedback and, and you know, enlisting them to be our, our you know, heads of QA and, and helping us through the process? Um, and it's, it, that is something that we're, we're thinking about, you know, how can we do that uh, on this never uh, of this, you know, inclusive development 2.0? Can we think about our cultural insights in a different way? You know, is there an opportunity to uh, frame it in a different way? Can they be more embedded in the content that we do or the game? So those are some of the things I think in general is just how can we, uh, take this, make it more accessible mm -hmm. uh, to our players, to the content, to our communities, and um, and that's where we we see it. We see it at, uh, as as being um, something that is really pulling, and is a high pillar in every of the games that we do. 
Yeah, and I think ultimately, how can you get some of these subject matter experts or indigenous people to be full-time members of the game development team, I think is kind of a goal as well. Like, how can you create a pipeline mm -hmm. to create opportunities to build their talent so that they could have a game company or a game developer? Exactly. Yeah. And there's that amazing, great talent. So we, we do want to, I mean, it also raised the bar on, on goals because we do need to identify those roles and we do need to put the effort into finding the talent that comes from the community. But it's something that we're passionate about and we just feel that it's going to make the game feel uh, a more authentic experience. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, now we're going to go to the questions in the chat. So the first one is from Discord. Um, the question is, are there any good locations we can recruit from to add more diversity to our team? Locations. Um, like where I, do you go and find, I think part of the question is people want to have diverse teams. Maybe they're not mm -hmm. working with a tribe like, like right. Eline, but mm -hmm. where do you go to find um, people for your team? That's a great question. Uh, it's not that there is that one place that I go and, you know, here's all the diversity talent. I'm here waiting. It, it takes a little bit of actually uh, strategizing and planning and identifying some organizations. So we uh, like to work with uh, work with Indies. It's, it's a very diverse organization. So whenever we have an open position, we, we like to use them as a way of, of posting our our, our, our and it's called jobs. it's workwithindies.com. Yes, work with indies. Uh, we're also looking into different Discord um, groups. So uh, there are there are diversity champions and they are other uh, discords that are uh, female-led. So we try to make those connections and socialize our our um, postings there. I wish there was one button that would say here's all you know, look, but it takes a little bit of planning and finding the organizations that align with what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think too, also when you're trying to recruit diversity on your team, it's, you have to allow time to, to get a pool mm -hmm. of applicants that is diverse to begin with so that you can interview them and, and go through them just like with the process. If you try to rush it, it makes it, yeah. I think, more difficult because it is takes some time mm -hmm. to go out to these Discord channels and put the word out. And put the word out and also get, get the buy-in from upper management that this yeah. is a, that you want to do this and it's going to take time, but let's do it. Yeah. Um, another question from Discord. What are some of the missteps that could happen early in production that other teams may see happen? So what are some of the production missteps that happen when you're doing this inclusive development process? Yeah, uh, some of that being like um, uh, some of the content that, that, that or themes that we develop, assuming that, you know, this is how, uh, uh, for example, um, is portrayed without asking or having a session with, with the, 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 our cultural partners before. So some of the things that we have to go back to, uh, oh, that's not the color, the right color for it, or that's not the right uh, way in which uh, they will communicate. So it's, and we had some of those where we are like, okay, I think we got it and we will go and do 
her thing and then come back and and they was like no this is this is not how it will happen or uh this is not really how it represents us so those have been some of the the production uh and based on those we have uh adjusted our our process in having a more day-to-day daily communication as opposed of bi-weekly or once a you know kind of thing yeah i agree that you never want to assume when you're working on these types of projects because as soon as you do it's not going to be correct and once you have your pipeline set up it's very easy to go to your your point of contact or to your committee and say, Hey, here, here's a question again. I mean, that's part of the time factor too, is that you feel compelled as a developer. I want to make a quick decision. I want to make this sash red. I just want to make it red. I don't want to wait 24 hours for an answer, but if you don't, then you're going to have to do rework it anyway. Um, Okay. We have another question. How did you handle the education side of the product? educating tribes about games and educating developers about the culture. Mm-hmm. So on the educating our, our uh, indigenous partners, uh, we actually put together a, a package where, where it was, I'm not kidding, development one-on-one. And um, again, we, we selected some, some articles and literature for them to read. We also uh, selected a list of newsletters up gaming newsletters for them to subscribe uh, and identifying some some key uh, people in the gaming industry to follow as well, and um, and then every time that we had these uh, sessions and meetings with them, we're trying to frame them like this is a concept review, and you know we we would like your feedback on. And and that's the way that you that we were doing the educating on 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 the side of learn all about uh, you know the development on us learning about their culture. They work workshops. We also um, they gave us um, articles and documentation to read. They have some guides on on on. Uh, framing their culture, what is the way of seeing the world, where are their values, their mission. So uh, they also, we put together, they put together that package for us. And uh, and honestly, a lot of that, you just uh, happens naturally during the conversations and where, where they lead. And uh, sometimes we go down to a specific theme and they start sending us a YouTube video or, or, a, or, you know, an article or a picture or, or things like that. So it's also a little bit of organic as, as yeah. we go. And I know on both the Stickball Project and Never yeah. Alone, there was a fair amount of travel. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Alaska multiple times, went, to yeah. Mississippi. And part of those visits were, of course, to meet face-to-face mm-hmm. with the community where we would attend events and celebrations just as guests. We would go into people's homes. We would mm-hmm. visit their museums, take um, pictures, take yeah. pictures, take reference photos, sure. yeah. especially for those cultures where there's a strong oral tradition mm-hmm. and there's not necessarily a lot written down. So it's 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 very exciting as a developer to work on these projects. It is. Yeah. All right. Next question from Discord. With games like Never Alone and TV shows like Reservation Dogs, we are seeing more storytelling from indigenous people. What are the marketing challenges that these games could face? And this will be our last question. Mm-hmm. I think some of the marketing challenges would be that um, 
they might uh, we might get some comments on you know uh, why are you making a game about this culture like who are you to represent these people and I think that that's the the marketing behind it on having a very clear message that is not us telling the story we're actually telling the stories in collaboration with our partners and and framing it that way because it could be misinterpreted like oh here's another game studio you know telling the story about about an indigenous tribe without really knowing about it so it's it, a lot of our marketing goes behind and that's why it's important when you're setting up your your process is that who on the in this case never alone side is going to be our our face that is going to go and talk about the game talk about the process and represent it out there because at the end of the day is their story is their ip that we're telling we're just being the ones that are helping them uh making it in the, into a video game yep and i do think that was our last question but i wanted to also mention to folks that the Museum of Modern and Art in New York City just opened a new exhibit about video games and interactive yes. storytelling in which Never Alone is sort of the featured product. And they built the exhibit around Never Alone because of the storytelling and what it shows you can do with games and things like that. Do you have any, do you want to talk about that a little bit? I think you got about 30 seconds, Carolina. Yeah, I would say it's, it's now part of the permanent collection at the MoMA. So the team is absolutely thrilled and excited about the game. I would say it's becoming like a cultural artifact and now being part of the museum. And if you're in New York, go see it. And if not, don't worry, you'll still have some time <laughs> uh, because it's going to be part of the permanent collection. Um, and yeah, uh, it's, uh, we're all very proud, very proud of, of, of uh, the reach and the impact that the game, after all these years, uh, is still continue to have and touch people. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Carolina. No, thank you so much thank for having me. Both. It was so much fun. Yes. That was awesome. All right. So if you're other watching, give us 60 seconds to, to flip channels here. And we're going to be right back. Next up, we have better playtesting for indie developers uh, from Steve Bromley. And we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.